0: We're going to be talking today about the leading of the Holy Spirit from a passage out of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verses 15 to the end of the chapter, which is kind of a strange passage. But it's before the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And they make a decision. Peter feels it's necessary to replace Judas and to have another apostle replace him. And they come to their decision in kind of a strange way. Now, there are people who believe that that Peter was led by God and that the decision was completely um, exactly what God would have wanted and that we can learn some things about decision-making from the decision that was made with Peter as to which apostle should replace Peter. I have a different take on it. There are also those like me who believe that this is operating before the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, wait in, in, in Jerusalem until you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They should have, in my opinion, they should have waited. Let, the, let them be filled with the Spirit and then make decisions by being filled in the Spirit. Instead, they choose two people, they give God two people to choose from, they pray about it, that's good, and then they cast lots to decide which one to choose. They, they basically flip, in our day, they'd flip a coin. God, which one of these guys do you want? Okay, you're the new apostle. I don't know that that's the best way to make decisions. Did you flip a coin whether or not you were going to ask your wife to marry you? Did you flip a coin whether or not to say yes? Okay, well Lord, please, if I'm supposed to marry him, let me know. Oh, I got to marry him. Oh boy, <laughs> right? It's probably never a good thing to cast lots. We used to have the eight ball when I was a kid. Remember that? And you had a little hand eight ball. You know, should I should I go to the dance tonight? Maybe. Ah, oh, the maybe. No. You know, uh, and a lot of people use the Bible that way. A lot of people even will go through, ask a question of God, and then point at the Bible. You know, what, what car should I buy, Lord? And they were all in one accord. Hey, it worked. I got to buy a Honda Accord. <laughs> Lord, uh, I, 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 this, this gal, Mary, should I marry her? Should I marry her or not? And then Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. Yes, I got it. It very seldom works that way, right? You randomly ask a question, should I take the job in Albuquerque? And you point it out and you point. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you uh, as the potter, says the Lord. Look at the clay is in the potter's hands. It kind of fits actually as I read through it. Um, (laughs) It's like the guy who wondered what he should do next. And he went and flipped open the Bible and pointed to it. And it said, uh, it was Judas hanging himself, go out and hang yourself. And, uh, yeah, not really a good thing to do. That's not the way we gain direction, okay? And studying God's Word shouldn't be opening it up to wherever you want to at night, pointing to it and reading five or six verses. Probably should be methodically reading through the Scriptures and looking for direction. So we're going to ask the question, what does the leading of the Spirit look like after the gift of the Holy Spirit was given in the next chapter? But we want to start by looking at the the text first, and seeing what it says here. So we're going to start in verse 15 of Acts chapter 1. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Peter seems to be taking a leadership role. Jesus said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but when you um, have, what is it, when you are restored, strengthen the brethren. And so here Peter is now taking that leadership role. Peter has that leadership personality. Now, He's not going to lead all the way through the book of Acts. The the leadership is going to shift to James, the brother of Jesus, and to Paul by the time we get halfway through. We'll point that out later. But here in the beginning, Peter is the obvious leader. And he stands up in the midst of the disciples. And altogether, the names, uh, the number of the names was about 120. So after Jesus' ministry, there were 120 believers that met in what, what was the upper room. We believe that's where this happened at. So there's 120 gathered together and said, men and brethren, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. We see a couple of things about Peter's attitude towards the Bible. The scriptures must be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit gave to David. Now, the book of Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit within the church. And the Holy Spirit has given us the scriptures. We're going to see that as we make our way through. But when we want guidance from God, the best place to get guidance is from the word of God. Now, as I said, the Bible isn't going to tell you what job to take, what town to move to, what person to marry. But the Bible is going to tell you how you should live when you move to that town, how you should drive in the car that you end up buying, how you should act towards the wife that you have married. The Bible gives us direction on daily living, but we have to pray and seek God about big decisions in our lives. They always should be made prayerfully. But they saw the scriptures and knew that they had to be fulfilled. He goes on to say, uh, which was spoken by uh, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested him. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now, Judas was sent out with the 12. They cast out demons and they healed people. And we assume he was one of the 12. He did that as well. And now Peter realizes we have 11 guys, but we had 12. We need to replace them. And he quotes a scripture where it says uh, that let someone else take his place. And you read it in context, it really is let someone else take his place. Now he wants to talk about the death of Judas now. And we know from Matthew and Mark that Judas hangs himself. He throws the money into the temple. He goes out into a place and hangs himself and commits suicide and dies now Peter adds more information the 120 know that Judas hung themselves this is not new information to them so Peter doesn't have to say he hung himself but he wants to tell the rest of the story as if you're old enough to know Steve Harvey would say and so it says now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity that doesn't mean that Judas was given back the money and Judas went and bought the field We know that they gathered together the money, the the leaders of the synagogue or or of the temple, they said, this is blood money. We can't put it back in the treasury. Now think about their priorities. They aren't willing to put money that's been used to, to pay somebody to kill somebody, but they won't put that back in the treasury, but they'll bear false witness, slander someone to the point that they are crucified. Their priorities are all messed up. But they take that money and they buy the piece of land that Judas killed himself on. So Judas did purchase the land with the money that was there, but someone else actually purchased it for him, but it was bought in the name of Judas. So when it says that this land was purchased, doesn't mean Judas did it, but, but it means it was bought for him. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his intrals gushed out. Now this is where Peter wants to go. If this was a gal sharing this story, she wouldn't say it that way. But for Peter, I mean, it's pretty descriptive, right? Um, He burst open in the middle and all of his intros gushed out. And I think he's, Peter, and all his intros gushed out, you know? Now, some see this as a contradiction because Matthew and Mark tell us that he hung himself. Here it says he fell headlong. But look at the way it's worded. It says, first of all, he fell headlong. It doesn't say he jumped. He fell headlong. And if you jump, then usually your guts don't burst out. Now, we don't know how far down it was, but usually it takes some bloating before that happens. And I'm going to get really graphic here, sorry, but that's just what we get here. Um, he, Peter, um, Judas hangs himself, and over a period of time, maybe wind, whatever, weight on the branches, the rope breaks, the, the branch breaks, he falls headlong, his, his guts burst out because they couldn't take him down during the Sabbath. The same reason they couldn't take, that they had to get Jesus off the cross before the Sabbath, because they couldn't take him down during the Sabbath. He's on that tree for those days during the Sabbath, and then he falls and he breaks headlong. Now, he doesn't want to give them, he doesn't need to give them the information that he hung himself, so he gives them this other information that he fell and his his guts burst open. So we're getting the rest of the story here. And it says, verse 19, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that it is called the field of, uh, so that the field is called in their own language, Ekel Demi, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling be, the pla- be desolate, a dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. That's Psalm 69, 25. And then it says, and let another take his office, Psalms 109, 8. Now, I don't have any problem with Peter looking back and seeing a passage that says that God's gonna replace Judas and let another man take his office. This is prophecy that he sees needs to be fulfilled and it's fulfilled in a literal way. And when we're talking about prophecy, this is really important. Do we have a precedent for how we determine prophecy, for how we interpret prophecy? Because some people interpret it literally, as literally as they can. Other people take all prophecy, almost all of them and make them metaphors. And I could determine your eschatology by asking you a few questions about prophecies that, that are going to be fulfilled. And I would, could determine whether you're post-millennial, pre um, if you're all-millennial. I could determine that by the way you interpret Scripture. That's how come we get to these different views. A literal interpretation of the Bible is of the precedent of Scripture. All prophecies that the New Testament talk about being fulfilled in the Old Testament are literal. And so if the Bible gives us a literal prophecy, then we should take it literal. Now, there are times we can't. If the Bible says in the book of Revelation that a great great mountain fell into the earth and a third of the earth were killed. I see no reason to take that literally. You say a great mountain. Well, yeah, a meteor. Meteor hits the earth, right? A great mountain hits the earth and a third of the earth is killed. So I have no reason not to take that literally. Later on, the book of Revelation says, and I saw coming out of the sea a beast that had 10 heads and, 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 and uh, seven heads and 10 horns and two of the horns or one of the horns uh, overpowered three of the horns. Now that's all a metaphor. There's, there's, we're not gonna see a beast like that come out of the water. So our common sense tells us where we take things literally and where we don't. Now let's get on with what's happening here. So verse 21, therefore of these men who have accompanied us all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from those, these must become a witness, or excuse me, beginning uh, from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. So he's going to replace Judas now, or they're going to replace Judas. And they have some qualifications, which is good. They have to have been with us from the time of John the Baptist, They'd have to go on through everything with us and they have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. So, so that's good that they have these qualifications. So far, so good. But he chose two of them. I, I don't know that you want to limit God's choices to two. You know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to take this job or this job? Flip my coin. Okay, I got to take that job. Now you've limited God to your two choices that you've given him. What if God doesn't want either of these guys? What if these guys fit all of the qualifications but God doesn't want either one of them? Right? So it says, um, verse uh, 25, to take part in the, yeah, to take, let's see, let's go back again, 23. And they proposed two Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So we'll say Justice and Matthias are the choices. And they prayed and they said, You, O Lord, know the heart of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry of apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among the 11 apostles. So this is how they chose them. Now, there's some good things here that we could see. They chose qualified people, and they prayed before their decision, before they cast their lots. That's good. We could even add faith. Once it fell on Matthias, by faith, they believed that God had done that. And so by faith, they added him to the number. That's all good. The negative is that, first of all, maybe they should have waited. What was the urgency when Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from the Holy Spirit? Why not wait until the power of the Holy Spirit is there? The Bible says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. There is no hurry in the decisions that you need to make that you can't find biblical precedence for. If a guy asks you to marry him, gals, and you aren't sure, don't hurry. I've never been sorry. I shouldn't say that. I've been sorry once. I've only been sorry once in 38 years, taking our time to choose elders or pastors for Calvary Tucson. We've always taken our time. And we've always said that we've said we've never been sorry. We were sorry once and that was it. But usually over a period of time, God either confirms they're to be here or he confirms that they're not supposed to be here. As we are waiting on God, we don't have there should not be an urgency to make decisions. There's a reason that car salesmen tell you you have to make the decision right now. This car might not be here. We can't give you this price again. We can't guarantee you this price. So you got to buy it today or it might be gone tomorrow. There's a reason they're pushing you into urgency because urgent decisions are often poor decisions that, aren't made, that are made with haste. So I wonder whether they should have waited, let God be the one to kind of reveal to them who should have been the next apostle. In fact, in Revelation it says, the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and on the 12 foundations, will be written the name of the 12 apostles. And I'll ask you whether or not you think Matthias' name is gonna be written on there. We never hear of Matthias again in the scriptures. That doesn't mean anything. But do you think Matthias' name is gonna be on there, or do you think Paul's name is gonna be on there? Paul said, I am an apostle chosen by God, and Jesus appeared to me as one born out of time. So one of the qualifications of an apostle is that they saw Jesus post-resurrection. Paul saw Jesus because he appeared to him after the resurrection and he became the apostle. Personally, I think Paul is the choice. I think that they're in a hurry. I see some other problems with what what they've done here. Number one, they've limited to two things. You don't want to limit God to two things. You don't want to go, this one or that one, God. You want to seek God and say, give me direction on what you want from me. I want from you, so, so speak to me. I see the casting of lots as a problem. Never is there a passage even in the Old Testament where it says if you are having trouble making a decision then cast lots to be able to figure out what to do. They cast lots for Jesus' clothes, the Romans did. Uh, There was on the breastplate of the high priest a device, the urim and the thummim by which they could ask God a yes or no question. Do you want us to go to war against the Moabites? And then the and thummim, whatever they did and we don't know what it was would tell them yes or no. So there was a device that could do that. That's the closest that we get to this. But never was there a passage that said cast lots to figure things out. So they're now casting lots. In our day it would be flipping a coin. And I just don't see that as a good thing. Now plenty good solid Bible teachers believe this decision making was good and right. And they did it the right way. And that it's even an example to us. But I think they've got to take out the flipping the coin right. Because they're never going to tell us to flip a coin to decide which one. Right? It's just not going to happen. And so there are some limitations in what's happened here. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. I think they should have, they should have waited. And so they end up choosing Matthias. I think this becomes an example of how we make decisions before the Holy Spirit is given. The problem of decision-making before the Holy Spirit's given, then we are given the Holy Spirit. And he comes inside of every believer. The Bible says... In, let me get back to it here. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit. What are we talking about? The leading of the Spirit to make decisions. As many as are led by the Spirit, it says, they are the sons of God. The first qualification to be led by the Spirit is that you are born again and the Holy Spirit's the one who causes you to be born again. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, you have to be born of, the, of, of water and of the Spirit. The water is the flesh. He goes on to say, for that which is of the flesh is flesh. You guys were all born of water. You were all born of flesh. How do I know that? I'm looking at you. You're right in front of me. I know you were born. Every one of you here. You didn't just appear out of nowhere. You were born. And you have to be born by the Spirit. And once you are born by the Spirit of God, now you can be led by the Spirit. If you are not born again... If you have not given your life to Christ, if you are not a disciple of his, then you have no no reason to think that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and help you to make good and solid decisions. Now, let's let's for a moment just discuss the process of decision making for us. Again, we aren't told um, what car to buy, who we're supposed to marry, what town we're supposed to move to. We have to make decisions on that. And I think, first of all, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. So any major decision in your life, you have to pray without ceasing. And you want to seek God. And if you're about to make a mistake, God's big enough to redirect you. He's, if you'd make a decision, it's the wrong decision. He's big enough to correct you. But a lot of times these are our choices. God gives us a true, very real free will. And if I say, should I buy a new blue boat? or a red, another red boat, then, you know, I, I, it's, I, I get to choose. God's like, which one do you like? Now, God's big enough to come in and go, your days of boat ownership are done, buddy. You're, you're done being a boat owner. That's why I took your boat out. Now, God can do that and speak to me, so I want to be open to whatever God gives and look for the direction of God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell me what boat to buy, whether or not to buy a boat, but the Bible does tell me how I'm supposed to conduct myself inside of that boat. The Bible doesn't tell you what job to take, but it does tell you how to conduct yourself within the job that you have. The Bible doesn't tell you what gal to marry, but whatever gal you do marry, the Bible tells you how to be a husband who sacrifices yourself and dies for her. That's the husband's role. The Bible tells us what kind of husbands we're supposed to be, what kind of wives we're supposed to be. That's the guidance and the leading of the scriptures which have been given to us by the Holy Spirit. So let's consider five ways in which the Holy Spirit leads us. Okay? First of all, we are led by the Spirit into righteousness. When we are sons of God and we are now being led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us into righteousness. We can operate in two ways we can be led by the Spirit or we can be led by the flesh. We can be in the Spirit or we can be in the flesh. And if you're fairly new to Christianity, you might go in the flesh. What do you mean? You are in the flesh. It's right there, Robert, that's your flesh. What do you mean in the flesh? By that we mean that you are led by the spirit into righteous things that bring fruits of righteousness, or you can be led by your body drives, your hunger, your sex drives, your sex drive, your temptation, temptations that you face. You can be led by all of those, and the deeds of the flesh are listed Heresy, believing false teachings is listed as a heresy, as, a, as a, a deed of the flesh, by the way. These are all things that you can be driven by your temptations, by your desires, by, by your, your um, kind of like an animal would, would be driven by what the animal wants. That's in your flesh. When you're in the spirit, you're asking, what does God want and how does God want me to live? And you need to understand that walking in the spirit is different than what your bodily desires are going to be. There's going to be differences between them. And the Bible says, if you sow to the flesh from the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit from the spirit, you will reap life. So Galatians 5, 16 says, I say, then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't be in both at the same time. If you're in the spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. If you're in the flesh, you're not walking in the spirit and you don't walk in the spirit of the flesh all the time. You move back and forth between them. I endeavor to walk in the Spirit. Do I walk in the Spirit all of the time? Of course I do. No, that's a lie. I don't. No, I don't. Just wanted to see if you guys are paying attention. Do I walk in the Spirit all the time? No. Sometimes somebody cuts me off down the road and I lay into my horn. And I don't give them the little beep, beep. I was here. I give them. And I drive by them like this. What's wrong with you? Right? Now, was I in the spirit when I did that or was I in the flesh? In the flesh for sure, right? When someone gives you a finger and you give them the finger back, are you in the spirit or are you in the flesh? (laughs) Pretty easy to figure that out, right? You were not in the spirit, but immediately you may feel regret and say, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry, right? Now you're back in the spirit again. So you can come out and be driven by your flesh and back into the spirit again. So uh, we also are led by the Spirit into witnessing this is Acts 1 8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem in Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth So we are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses When we are led by the Spirit, we're sharing our faith. We're planting seeds. We're watering This is something that the Spirit leads us into We also are led into truth by the Spirit uh, it says in John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will help us be truth seekers. We are, we are not sensation, not sensationist, cessationist. That's a word that means that you believe that the gifts of the spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit was only for the first generation and God only works through us through scripture now. He doesn't give us the Holy Spirit in the sense of, of filling us, empowering us. The gifts of the Spirit are no longer an operation. We're learning everything from the Word of God. As a church, we are not cessationists. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the work of the Spirit. But we are, th- that means we are technically charismatics. We would be, technically fall into the charismatic realm. But I've said before, we are charismatics with a seatbelt. We, we believe that any special revelation... Because Pentecostals and Charismatics believe that God can speak to your heart. God has spoken to me before. It's, it's, he moves in, and I know it's him. It, it, and it's always in, in line with the word of God. Never is he going to tell me something that's not in line with God's word. It's always in line with what, the, what, what God's word says. And if ever he tells me to start to do something that is, is, is different than what we find in the word of God, let's just take the charismatic practice of slaying in the spirit. They bring people up front. They lay hands on them. They fall on the ground. They quiver and shake for a while. All right, we don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because it's not in Scripture. Can God knock down one of His kids if He wants to? Sure, God can do that. I'm not with God. God's gonna say, "I would like to knock you down, but Robert won't let me." I don't have any say with God. However, I don't. We don't want to make that part of our practice. Now, that's just a little area. When we're talking about Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches, they're going way overboard now. They're heading into, they're heading into soul soaking, which is when you go to a grave of a famous Christian and you lay down on their grave and you believe you're getting their anointing. They're doing soul ties where they believe that everybody that you've ever had a relationship with, you have a soul tie with them and you've got to go into your past and you've got to pray and have somebody pray for you to break that tie. All of these things are unbiblical. These are not the guiding of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's going to guide us into all truth. It's not going to lead us ways that aren't full of truth. We believe that in the gift of prophecy, we believe in the gift of, of the word of knowledge, but I don't have to receive a word of knowledge from you as being true, I get to judge it. The Bible says, one pro- don't despise prophecy, one prophesies and the other judges it. So I have a prophecy in my life that somebody gave me when I was 22 years old that came to pass, and it's pretty amazing, and when we're talking about prophecy in the book of Acts, I'm gonna share that story with you, not today, but I'm gonna share it with you, it's pretty amazing. I got a prophecy from someone they told me God told me to tell you and they told me and it came to pass and it wasn't just any, it's something that was random it's a it's a it's a confidence in my life that I know God had a plan for me now I've had a lot of people give me prophecies that are whack <laughs> they come up to me and they go God told me to tell you and the Bible says let one prophesy and let the others judge so we get to judge your prophecy because I don't know if you're really hearing from God I have no idea. You might be in your flesh. You might just want to show off. And so you say, hey, God told me to tell you and you give me a prophecy. And so what I say to people when they tell me that is, thank you for sharing. I'm going to judge it. And then they'll get mad at me. One guy told me, I've never been wrong. Can we bring your wife in and ask her if you've ever been wrong? Because I I doubt whether that's a true statement. I've never been wrong. Right? He was upset because I said I was going to judge it. But hey, I might judge your prophecy to be one I need to act on. Because I say I'm going to judge it, doesn't mean I'm rejecting it. It means I have the right to judge it. Don't despise prophecy, but let one prophesy and let the others judge. So you never have to take the word of someone as if it's the word of God. You can judge whether or not that prophecy is for you. And you might act on it, and you might not act on it, depending on how you judge it. But the gifts of the Spirit are today, and the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into truth. This is problematic with churches like Bethel that are doing things that are massively ungodly, that are like the New Age movement. It is problematic for them. They are Pentecostal and charismatic churches. They not only have no seatbelts, they're standing up in the back of the truck while driving down the road. They are out of, of pocket when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit and what God's doing through the Word of God. Someone told me here recently that... If the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, then the Holy Spirit has the right to amend it. And he can change it and bring it into something else. So now you're telling me that your Pentecostal charismatic traditions are on line with scripture. Sounds an awful lot like the Catholic Church who does a lot of weird things that aren't biblical because they believe their traditions are the same as the word of God. And now you're telling me as a Pentecostal charismatic, which we are charismatic, so we're talking about our own group, right? You're telling me now that your traditions or, or your, 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 your personal revelation is as high as scripture and now you can do something in worship that isn't biblical because God's given you to do it. I also find very connected to Catholicism where things are very worship centered, very emotional centered. You walk into a Catholic church and there's incense and there's candles and it can be a very emotional thing. Those of you guys who are Catholic, who have been Catholic, you know that. You know you can walk into a Catholic church and feel very emotional about it. Well, you walk into a Pentecostal church and it's all emotions. It's all about the emotions and the way it feels. I find a real connection between the abuses within the Pentecostal movement and the abuses that are in the the Catholic system. I'm not saying either one of them are not Christians. I believe that the Catholics believe the basics, the virgin birth, the resurrection. Uh, If you're believing salvation by faith, then you're good. Same thing with the Pentecostals. I'm not saying these guys aren't saved. I'm just saying you guys are out of pocket. You guys are out of line. We need to come back to our direction that comes from what the scriptures say because the Spirit is going to lead us into all truth. Now, not only is the Spirit going to do that, but the Spirit's going to lead us through the scriptures. It says in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. So the Holy Spirit works to bring what the scriptures are to our mind, what Jesus said, to be able to do the work God calls us to do. The Spirit also leads us through God's love. And we're going to talk in a moment about what it means to to how to be led by the Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. Now in closing, let's talk about how we are led by the Spirit. First of all, we're led through the scriptures. What does the Bible tell you to do? And a lot of your life, you can be led by it. If, if a Christian offends me, even something, he even does something against me that I can take him to court for, I'm not going to sue a Christian because the Bible tells me not to. Now, it doesn't mean I give it up, but I might go to someone who's mature that he respects and I might say, can you judge between us as we look at this situation? Because that's what the Bible says. Isn't there someone wise enough to help you judge these things? I am, uh, I'm going to, if someone, you know, takes my shirt, right? This is the the Roman soldiers who could take someone's, he says, give them your coat as well. So this helps us to live how the Bible tells us to live, to sacrifice. There's a lot of details in here, again, about what kind of husband you are, what kind of wife you are. We're looking by the leading of the Spirit through the word of God. Now, also, the Holy Spirit can speak to us and it can give us revelation through gifts of the Spirit. So God gives the gifts of knowledge to some, the gifts of prophecy to some, and God can use those to speak to us. But we want to be careful with those. We have a right to judge them. We, when you're speaking for God, you want to be very careful if you have those gifts. You also could get a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this in the book of Acts. There are people that are not prompted through the Scriptures, but they're prompted by the Spirit of God to go and do things. And when you are prompted, you just get to make a decision to do that. However, it can, you can get carried away. You can be like driving down one road and suddenly feel like I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to take this other road and then I want to take this other road and then I'm supposed to take this other road and then and, and now you've got to at some point trust that God's taking care of you that your life is not going to be taken from you until it's time for you to go and that God is able to handle it even if you're driving down a Mexican freeway and a car comes across the lane and takes you know towards you God could have stopped us from going Maybe he did give us a couple of things that might have made us think we shouldn't go, by the way, which is really interesting, but we went anyway. So I don't know. Maybe I I just wasn't listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But there's nothing in black and white. But you can be led by the Spirit. Just don't get carried away by it. Just don't let that be the main way in which you are directed. I'm going to say that's going to be more rare, when you feel a check of the Spirit instead of more common, which would be the direction of how we're supposed to live, by the Word of God, which can be checked, which can be seen. How do I know I'm being led by the Spirit not by not by my flesh? Well, that's pretty easy. If I have an outburst of anger, that's my flesh. I'm in the flesh. If, if I'm giving into temptation, that's my flesh. If you notice, you know, Robert seems lately to be a lot more loving joyful peaceful a lot more more patient love joy peace patience kindness a lot more kind goodness faithfulness he's a lot more faithful he's got a lot more self control then you could probably assume you know what robert's been walking by the spirit i can see that in his life again do i always do that of course i do no i don't i don't always do it but that's how you can know if you say well you know what i'm not kind I'm just, not the, I'm just not the person who's kind. When somebody says something to me, I give them a piece of my mind. Be careful with that. You might give too much away. When you give them a piece of your mind, you might end up with too much going. <laughs> but if you're not kind, then you're not walking in the spirit. If you deal with the situation, if your waitress gets your food order wrong and you are not kind in helping her. You know, this is an expensive place. I'm supposed to order my food and here it is. I want another plate. Don't do that. Don't do that. The cooks are going to get your plate and you're not going to want to eat it when it comes back, all right? (laughs) Don't do it. Be kind. And when you're kind, you're walking in the Spirit. When you're not kind, you're not walking in the Spirit. You say, Well, I'm just an angry person. Well, then you're not walking in the Spirit. Learn to walk in the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are the fruits of the Spirit. And you know you're walking in the Spirit by those fruits. And we walk in the Spirit, first of all, by wanting to do what the Word of God says. And there may be other ways, but the Word of God is going to be the main way we walk in the Spirit. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can take time today to consider how we walk in the Spirit. And how the Spirit leads us into all truth. And let us be those that have the word of God for our foundation for what we believe. Not something that someone sees that's very much like the new age or like some new practice of of soul soaking or other things that may be taking place. Lord, help our brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal and charismatic movements that are heading in these aberrant ways. Help them to come back to the truth of your word of God and to stay solid in what they believe. Because to to follow a heresy is to be in the flesh. And Lord, I pray that they would not. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.